I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, uncertainty in traditional media. As The Independent closes its print edition at the end of March, the BBC breaks down the barriers between TV, radio and online. Our panel explain what will happen next. Plus, better news for magazines as Private Eye and The Spectator see growth. And it's a new day for The Daily Mirror as it launches a cut-price daily tabloid. And we discuss health and safety on The Jump, the BBC Worldwide Showcase and the Media Quiz reheats some old formats. That's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me this Friday at the Hospital Club is the creative director of Folder Media and all-round radio guru. It's our Matt Deegan. Hello, Hello. Matt. Hello. Hello. Uh, and also joining Matt, the director of broadcasting at City University London. Uh, long career as a TV exec before that as well. Of course, Professor Liz Howell. Hello, Hello. to you. Hello. Uh, right, trickiest question of all, first of all, what have you both been up to this week? Uh, either first. together, if you've got a secret <laughs> life, <laughs> or individually. Maybe for podcast extra. But uh, this, this week, uh, I've been looking at Guinness World Records. Records. We're Excellent. going to do some Guinness World Records for Fun Kids, our children's radio station. And uh, I've found myself asking presenters, do you think you could climb through a toilet seat nine times in less than a minute? Just go through this big, long list. They're hard. They are hard to find doable Guinness World Records. I'm glad you brought this up because this is a niche subject that would probably never have come up on the media <laughs> podcast otherwise. But I know from my experience in my past life as a researcher on This Morning uh, that if you contact Guinness, they tell you which records you can break. So you don't have to think, well, should we do one involving well, using thimbles and well, duvet covers? Well, this is it. They've sent us some suggestions. Right. Uh, a big, long list. They have, a, obviously, an Uber database that has all of these things in. So I've been trying to work out what's doable. Chocolate bars. Uh, how many chocolate bars do you think the record is to eat in uh, 60 seconds? Ooh. A normal Ooh. chocolate bar. Properly eat. eat. Consume yes. completely. Yes. Straight down, swallow mm. the lot. I'm going to say 40. 12? 3. No. It's 3. And I think, oh, that's doable. I, it's totally then, doable. It's sickening. Uh, and then being busy this week, I then looked up them on the internet, and it is hard to eat, say, three line bars in less than... See, that, that's the difference between you and me, Matt. You looked it up on the internet. I would have wolfed down three chocolate bars <laughs> to see, see if I could have done it. Uh, Liz, what have you been up to this week? Oh, it's very different. Mine's much duller than Matt's. Um, although it's half-term in many places, uh, for us in postgraduate education, it's the assessment week for mm. news broadcasts. So the students have been making their programmes, and we've been assessing them, and it's always a slightly trying time. 
But so far, so good. They seem to have done really well. Good. And do your current crop of graduates, do you think that they are people who want to make kind of traditional news packages or are they people who look at this continually evolving 24-7 media landscape and that's what they want to do? Oh, it's both. It really is quite exciting. I mean, in the, the time I've been teaching, which is over 10 years now, we've seen the landscape really expand and it is actually an expanding industry. There are a lot more opportunities. There are stations on the air now like Vice that you would never have heard of before, even Al Jazeera and things like that. People have channels have come online so there's a lot out there there's still a lot to be said for the conventional news package and what we want to do is to teach them to do something that's better say than what you put on YouTube but they come to us with more skills now and it's really exciting to see what they can do and their website work is great well and that of course is very important very but but Matt the radio news package is a bit of a dying art form isn't it Uh, the package generally is is there is there room for a decent package at next radio last year um, Tim Johns who makes great packages for radio 2 did one on the day and actually it is a skill which is 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 quite impressive well we don't have a package here but we do have a catchphrase and it goes something like this this insert news story here marks the end of print or linear television or (laughs) fm radio Uh, it's not exactly catchy but you get the idea Uh, this week uh, has seemed more doom mongering than most first the independence editor said that it was closing the print edition uh, and the indie would become online only selling their cut price version the i to the johnson press Uh, then reports suggested the beeb was to sweep away its commissioning structure removing the old divisions between radio and telly and online and replacing them with get ready to understand this inform, educate and entertain. How does that work in a commissioning structure? Uh, And then, of course, BBC Three closed its broadcast channel. Something much discussed over the last year has now finally happened. So, our new catchphrase, is this the death of linear everything? Um, (laughs) Let's start with the indie. Liz... uh, Amal Rajan, the editor, has been doing the rounds, hasn't he, of all the radio studios and stuff, saying it's inevitable. Daily newspapers don't have an audience. They're all going to fold eventually. Mm. Do you think that's right and therefore it was inevitable the indie would be the first to go because it had the lowest circulation? No, I don't believe that at all. I mean, obviously, they've got to cover their backs with what's happened at the indie, but it's more to do with the nature of the indie than to do with the nature of newspapers. If newspapers were dying, why would Johnson Press pay $24 to buy the eye? Why would Trinity Mirror be talking about bringing out a a new... Um, small circulation daily daily paper. Look at uh, things like your City AM and so on. And, and there, there are often print versions of what's done digitally, and they are growing up now. More and more magazines are coming on on. I was going to say online, but what I mean is becoming available in print. Although you can argue that you know the canals saw off the stagecoaches and the railways saw off the canals, it's very very rare that you get one medium which completely obliterates preceding media. What happened with cinema was that it's actually grown in a different way since the advent of television. So I think it, it, there's room for everything there. and I certainly don't think it's, it's the death of print at all. And the Times has actually put on circulation lately. Yeah, well, let's talk about the Times because, of course, they're behind a paywall. Uh, and, you know, lots of people nervously laughed when Rupert Murdoch suggested that that was the way forward for broadsheet print. But it does appear to be working for It does them. appear to be working. And if you have something like The Guardian, which isn't, you've got to remember that The Guardian's business model is completely different. It's it's funded by a trust. It's a charity. How long that can go on, I don't know. But it's it's the way it works at the moment. The Times has proved that uh, behind a paywall can, can work. And I think that that's, that's fine. That, that does complement. The Times is a very interesting 
business model and I think something we can we can all learn from but it's what was it Nicholas Negroponte said that we always overestimate the short-term effects of change and we underestimate the long-term effects of change and we're in this transition period at the moment so the really intelligent answer I think is to say I don't know who knows but, but was there an alternative version of reality Matt where uh, another owner I mean the Lebedev's chucked a lot of money at this so I, I can't imagine an owner with deeper pockets or, or better intentions but another owner had come in and somehow run the independent and turned it around um, well, you could say they did turn it around. They With took, the eye. Yeah, but, uh, and if you really look... print. If you look at, at the circulation of The Independent, the thing that has really affected it was the introduction of the same newspaper at a cheaper form uh, on with slightly cut-down cut down stories. I mean, the thing I think is interesting is what does it show? Well, they're going to move the editorial of the eye into another company and probably a lot of people aren't going to notice and they'll try and paper over those cracks by moving columnists across and those sorts of things. I think that, well, that, that shows uh, actually how dynamic these things can be. Uh, but the newspapers historically have been unprofitable, propped up by... Uh, uh, strange owners who want to influence, who want to peddle influence. Uh, the Independent had one of those, and they've now run out of time. If, if Evgeny is listening, then uh, the use of strange was Matt's choice of word. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's warmly welcome to join the panel one day. You can say that, in a, in a way, a lot of newspaper publication is, is a vanity project and always has been. And I think Rupert Murdoch once famously said... Um, with entertainment you make money, but with news you dine at the White House. And so that's one of the reasons for keeping your paper going. You're all over the quotes today. I'm loving <laughs> um, talking about quotable journalists, actually, you've got Robert Fisk, you've got Simon Calder, you've got big names, haven't you, at The Independent. They're in the eye as well at the moment, as you suggest, Matt, in this kind of cut-down form. So what happens now? Do we know? The paper's been sold to the Johnson Press, but presumably the big columnists are the ones that Rajan's going to want still writing for the for the online indie? Can they do both? I'm I'm a bit confused by that. I think also the pull of those columnists to online publications is less than what people expect. I know we've talked here before about um, some of the success of uh, the online elements of newspapers don't tend to be the same things are successful in print. Uh, Obviously we see in the mail online very different publication to the one that, that is in newsprint. I totally agree with that. I think that they are very different animals. It'd be very interesting to see what happens. But people aren't attracted to online for the big names necessarily. It's the tidbits that they really love mm-hmm. online. And that is the concern that a lot of people have voiced this week as well. You might end up with the I, which was the slightly more lightweight, concise, easily readable version of The Independent, actually feeling like the more intellectual title and The Independent Online becoming um, clickbait. Yeah. yeah, but does that matter? I mean, I think one of the problems is that The Independent itself wasn't really a newspaper in the conventional sense. You didn't read The Independent for the news. You read The Independent for comment. It was more like a daily magazine, and a daily magazine is very hard to sustain. Now, interestingly, talking about magazines, uh, they don't appear to be difficult to sustain on a weekly basis. Absolutely Um, not. They're doing really well. They're doing really well. So let's talk about that. The ABC circulation figures are out, and interestingly, both The Spectator and Private Eye have been growing, uh, the latter having their best circulation since 1986. Um, So is that the future for print, weekly periodicals? The future is the past. I think there's something special in things that are special. You know, Sunday Times is not available uh, online if you don't pay for it, therefore you're more likely to buy that as a print publication. In, in, In a survey of one, me, yes. Um, but if you look at something like the something like Private Eye, which you cannot get in an online form, but how is, you know it's high quality, it's got a lot of heritage, it's got strong brand value, it's seemingly doing a decent
great job week in week out well then it does okay and, and it, it better it benefits from that um, I think I think any media that is weak if the content is weak no matter what the distribution platform is um, weak content reduces in in less consumption I've got a bit of a theory about private eye which is that we are entering into a slightly more questioning um, cynical era where we think about politics in a different way which is perhaps a sort of spin-off of the Corbynista trend and that people are reading private eye to have a laugh at these people in power um, and they didn't do that during the coalition years because it was all a bit dodgier and a little less certain but now we've got a solid conservative government we can all poke fun I don't know if this is a fair analysis but I think it might be something to do with it and I read private eye almost weekly I think it's really funny it's got funnier I mean I love Gnome's Christmas market it's really one of the highlights of my year <laughs> before we wrap up this uh, section of the press and move on to our other death of linear everything section I've been listening to this podcast for years before I presented it when it used to be in its former home at the Guardian and for literally years Emily Bell used to sit there and say this will be the year where a major national newspaper will fold and actually what happened in the last 10 years is we saw more of them not less of them but is this now finally the beginning of other papers folding. You said no, Liz, but really? I mean, there's lots of papers making a loss. The Guardian is not selling that many copies. But as we've said, papers have always been in that slightly difficult area. They have been vanity publications in in many ways. They can continue. I think you've got to think about the independent as the independent, not as an exemplar. It was independent in that sense. It was very different from the other papers. Maybe, I mean, it's the who knows, which is not an attractive thing to say. It's much more attractive to come out with a, a very firm opinion, but I really do think we don't know. I, I'm going to say I can't imagine the people still being here in five years' time. That's fair, isn't it? Well, I think there's a thing of change anyway. I think there's a thing about the product. You know, a lot of these a lot of these publications are products of an old age, uh, and you know, have historically they've just they've bumbled along and they've mainly been based on what they've done in the past. And a lot of their success, the people's a good example of that. A lot of that came from distribution. You know, it had uh, distribution into every store. Uh, it had a editorial team and a sales team, and it's continued in that direction. You used to look at what Trinity are doing now with their new title. You know, they're coming up with a new product mm. for a new age, which may be successful, may not be successful, but at least it's of the moment. And I guess with I, what we're seeing, what was interesting with the announcements of I, so I's distribution isn't great at the moment outside of metro areas. So actually, that's where they, their growth business opportunities is they're reformulating new products for a new time Uh, if you can't keep up sorry people who work at the people but uh, a paper like that then it's going to be difficult for you to survive one very quick thing on this though I absolutely believe that what's going to make the difference with newspapers is the introduction of more and more pictures pictures are absolutely what's carrying media I think it's carrying TV it's carrying online pictures are so important it sounds very simple but the bigger the pictures and the more of them the better you do she says on an audio podcast uh, right we're gonna but the pictures are in your head <laughs> absolutely uh, we're going to return to the uh, subject of that new Trinity Mirror tabloid later but let's continue our death of linear special uh, and talk about those proposed changes to BBC Commission Uh, It's being reported Lord Hall will announce before Easter that Danny Cohen is not going to be replaced. Uh, We know, of course, as discussed in the previous edition, that the controller of BBC Two, Kim Schillinglaw, is off, and Charlotte Moore has now taken control of both channels, BBC One and BBC Two. And that is just the start, isn't it, Liz? What are they proposing? I don't really understand what they're proposing. (laughs) I think you need a PhD in management studies at the most arcane level to understand what's going on at the BBC. I think you'd put that under the educate pillar. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it could be under entertainment. (laughs) Depends how long they last. But, I mean, you you get rid of the head of BBC Two, but then you start looking for an editor of BBC Two, so I don't really get the difference. What I think is really interesting here is the pressure on the BBC to show that it's not sucking all the oxygen out of the creative environment. 
And this is something really important for charter renewal because the great blanket BBC that does everything and just takes what you do and reproduces it with its own brand is going to be under question. The BBC Trust did a great job with the public value test to see whether or not the BBC really ought to develop in various areas and if it would damage the commercial interest. But it didn't go far enough. And it's almost like the question that no one dares ask, which is how much is the BBC damaging or potentially damaging other creative industries. The BBC's point is that while it exists, the, the creative industries do very well under its auspices, but other people, including say, local radio and uh, even people in online now are questioning how much the BBC should be doing. And I don't see this coming out in Jesse Norman's Select Committee report, which is about something else completely different, but it's got to be asked in the, in the near future. I suppose the difference between a controller and an editor is salary, though, isn't it? Presumably it an editor costs be, yes. less. But, but who knows? As it said in broadcast this week, you're going to be able to define what the role is when they appoint the person. Mm. You know, if they appoint somebody we all know and respect and think, wow, that's a sort of Peter Bazalgette heavy hitter, yeah. it's going to be very different from Annie for Nakapan, you know? It is tedious, isn't it, that it's the same list of, of basically white men that are doing the rounds and always do when these appointments come up. Richard Klein might come back from ITV, da-da-da. Yeah. I mean, there that was does only sound one a bit woman. Like a there was only one woman in the list I saw. Yeah. And I think, well, I've got to be in my bonnet about that anyway but I do think that it's really indicative. Okay let's talk about the death of Linny a bit of it though Matt so you've got uh, potentially Radio 2 and BBC 1 under BBC Entertain, uh, 5 Live and the News Channel under BBC Inform and this is the kind of thing that you and and actually Faraz Osman on this show as well have been banging the drum about for a couple of years that we're going to end up with a less brand centric world a world of genres you know that consumers are going to choose what they want to watch or listen to and it doesn't matter uh, which channel it's on yeah there's two things I think from a, a dull management theory uh, point of view uh, to make significant savings you can't uh, take slices off what exists at the moment uh, if you want to make big savings you've got to throw it all up in the air uh, to come up with a new structure which costs you significantly less so I think actually fundamentally that's really why they're, they're doing this it's easier to do it this way um, and to see people gradually disappear than to try and keep it in the same format uh, I think the thing about platform is fascinating you know Radio 1 have a growing TV position on iPlayer uh, and the material they're creating Newsbeat is a global cross-media platform um, it's BBC News but they're making video the iPlayer stuff they've obviously got radio bit on one and one extra so that's already starting to happen now if you are a consumer and your main way into the BBC is the big TV screen you know when you press that iPlayer button you know what pops up content pops up and you can navigate it through things you recognise and that might be channels or personalities or what you've liked before. So that sort of kind of makes sense. Uh, it's a big bit of uncertainty I think obviously for the people in it. I think the other thing is we're, all this seems like we're heading towards how Channel 4 operate. Um, you know, they don't make content. We're seeing BBC Studios kind of pushed off or BBC News existing as its own thing. We're getting to a, a tighter BBC as marketing and commissioning. And really, where the money should be saved, if, if you do that, you know, your central HR function and all those other central functions should be much, much smaller uh, to deliver that, that smaller team that are driving the commissioning of the content. I mean, Liz, you, you might not be happy that all of the questions you'd like 
uh, asked are being answered. But they are showing the BBC at the moment, aren't they? They can be slightly radical. They can do things rather than just discuss them and theorise about them. Yes, that, and that's absolutely fair. They are making changes. I'm not sure what effect they will have in the end, though. I mean, I'm not absolutely sure that putting things into genres as opposed to into channels is going to make much difference, particularly when channels did have, as it were, a sort of genre brand. And we all know that BBC Two is different from BBC One. We all know that... Well, Newsbeat is different from, say, the, the news channel. So I don't know in the end what difference it's going to make, but it's going to be interesting to see. What I do want, though, is to feel that it's safe to go out there and ask the BBC the question about, do you have too much? Are you too big? What's going to happen? And in the forums I've been involved in so far, I've found that the BBC has been super, super, super defensive. And I, d- I don't think that's the right way. I think from a commissioning perspective, a little personal experience, so we, we're making a little bit for CBBC, and we make some things for Radio 1, you know, notionally all in the kind of the youthier end of things. Very different groups of people, very different systems, quite a lot of crossover in what they're thinking, but not necessarily hooked up together. Now, historically, two very separate platforms. Why should Radio 1 care what's on the CBBC channel and, and vice versa? But I imagine they miss out on opportunities by being split that way. You do feel sorry, don't you, for all of the production companies that have shows that were just about to be commissioned <laughs> oh, by Kim Schillinglaw. I mean, that's a long way down the track, isn't it? Two years of development. Isn't it? Just yeah, and, and then it all goes on ice because of a change of personnel. But it does happen quite often. I would just like to say that I personally would like to see an even stronger commercial competitor to the BBC. I think, as an ITV person myself, for much of my career, though I also worked at the BBC, I do think having two players out there, two big players out there, is very, very important, particularly in news. And I, I think think that that should be addressed at government level during charter renewal. Okay, well there'll be more news from us after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, friends, let's change the tone a bit. How about a little Elgar? Lovely. Now, those of you listening to this and thinking, what are they playing at? Using music in a podcast, what with all the copyright payments involved? Is my donation being frittered away because Ollie Mann believes one of Britain's greatest composers adds gravitas to his voice? Of course not. 
your money isn't being frittered away. Uh, actually, the recording we're using here, Media Geeks, is Creative Commons. And the fact is, the Media Podcast is a tightly run ship. Because of the unique way this show is produced, there are no studio overheads, no bandwidth costs. We do everything we can to ensure your contributions are spent wisely on the stuff that really matters. We do this so that when you decide that now is the time to make that contribution, whether it's a pound, five pounds, maybe, dare I say it, ten pounds a month to keep this show going, to keep it independent. When that time comes, you say yes. Yes, I can do this. Because whilst Edward Elgar sounds bloody good and could sound even better at a higher bit rate, we want you to know that your money will only ever be spent on bringing you the finest media analysis in audio form for now and forevermore. So go on, listeners. Go to themediapodcast.com now. Sign up for a regular contribution and keep this show on the air. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for producer Matt or Liz Howell or Faraz Osman or Matt Deegan or Maggie Brown or Lisa Campbell. Do it for yourselves. Do it for almost 10 years of media analysis. Pause the podcast. Get out your debit card. Classify it as a business expense. If you have to, you can convince your accountant later. Go to themediapodcast.com. Support us, The Media Podcast, as the independent voice of media analysis. Thank you. Right, should we have some more media news then? Uh, let's start with a quick trivia question, a warm-up to the quiz later on. I know you're both looking forward to that. Which BBC show is the biggest-selling show abroad? The Voice. Good guess. Although I don't know if that even counts as a BBC Not show. Quite, That's a real yeah. quagmire, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, no. Matt? Um, so is, is this being sold to individuals rather than to TV networks? No, this is being sold to TV networks. Because there was, there was something I read oh. about... Um, Keeping up appearances, doing well. Yeah, and you read that as two individuals or TV networks? I don't know. I can't remember. It, it is. It is keeping up appearances. Astonishingly. Wow. Uh, the sitcom has been sold nine hundred and ninety-two times. Oh, in I don't the last think that's year. surprising. As a scouser, I think it's absolutely right. Um, which I is think more. It was modelled on my mum. <laughs> well, I think everyone feels a bit like they know a hyacinth bouquet. Yes. Don't they? That's the. That's the reason. Uh, my, my family. Some of my family are from Coventry, and they filmed the. The, the brother's house the kind of not very nice house round the corner for them in Coventry wow. and they were always very very sad Did <laughs> they run a tour? <laughs> That's amazing Oslo Yes yeah. Onslow Onslow sorry mm. forgive me yeah um, when you started from the BBC store <laughs> yes, I'm sure, yeah. when you started that sentence with my family I thought you were about to suggest that the Zoe Wanamaker <laughs> sitcom deserved its place at the top of the tree which it certainly doesn't uh, but anyway yeah, Keeping Up Appearances sold more times by BBC Worldwide than Sherlock, Doctor Who, Strictly and Top Gear uh, we mentioned this because uh, on Monday the corporation's commercial arm BBC Worldwide is to host broadcasters in Liverpool for its version of the upfronts uh, so they bring all the talent there Benedict Cumberbatch was there in previous years this year Chris Evans is going to be there Big up the new Top Gear, trying to encourage international buyers. Liz, let's leave keeping up appearances to one side for a moment. How important is it for the new Top Gear to do well? Because that is, you know, however they try and show a portfolio of programmes, that's the thing everyone will be talking about this year. It's absolutely vital, isn't it, that Top Gear does well. Personally, I can't stand it, and I don't think I'm going to like the new version very much. Why should I? But given that it's a flagship programme for the BBC, given that there's been all this fuss about it, given what happened to Clarkson, they've got to make it work. They've got to. Personally, I'm very disappointed with the lineup. I would have liked a woman in there somewhere. There is a woman in there. There is a woman in there, but not at the top. 
there's one in seven is a woman. Oh, great. Uh, that's probably not reflective of the audience, is it? Probably is sort of 40% female audience. But also, yes. one, one in seven is just wearing a helmet. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so that could be a woman. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> uh, I thought what was interesting is they've created that programme for international distribution. Uh, the German lady, who's yep. obviously popular in Top Gear over there, Joey from Friends, um, Chris <laughs> Evans. Uh, oh, I do love Matt LeBlanc. I really do. I might even start to watch it because of that. There we go. Oh. So there are two reasons for you to watch a yeah. woman and Matt LeBlanc. No, and may no. I say as well, from a personal perspective, Rory Reid, uh, who mm. is not very well known necessarily, but is a friend of mine, uh, former uh, colleague on Saturday Edition, and is going to be excellent. You heard it here first. Uh, but anyway, there's seven of them presenting that show now. Um, isn't that actually a sign, it seems to me, of what the BBC does quite well, which is not making an economic decision. They've replaced three people with seven. <laughs> we <laughs> don't know what they're paying. No, we, we don't. Uh, but make a decision that is best for the programme. Make a creative decision. Let's do something completely different. Obviously, these people are going to be on VTs. They're not going to all be in the studio. But in a way, a it's quite refreshing, isn't That's it? That's not just the BBC that does that. I mean, any broadcaster can do that. ITV can do dramatic and interesting things as, as well. I think Not with their idea. biggest intellectual property. Well, what, they wouldn't suddenly oh, change the cast of Downton Abbey, would they? biggest intellectual property? We're talking about it. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, yeah, it's good that they're going to develop it. It's good that there's more going on, but it, it is quite scary. And I, I, it is, again, watch this space. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And, you know, the thing with TV is it's so difficult to get it right. I know from personal experience, I really do. You can get the greatest lineup in the world and somehow it doesn't work. Or you can get people that come from nowhere and they're stars. That's the great joy of it. You can't predict. So let's just see. Interestingly as well, they've now tried to monetize the Stig as well, separately in his own show, haven't they? The Getaway Car. Mm. Let's see what happens with that. I mean, often these things don't work. Look at Matt, Matt LeBlanc. He's a perfect example of that. You know, where Joey didn't work, but he was a huge star in Friends. So you can't predict. What do you think about that, Matt, the getaway car? Dermot O'Leary filmed in South Africa. It's kind of wipeout, isn't it? But oh, they, they've totally aped. I mean, I, I'd be annoyed if I was Endemol, where it's like the BBC have created a format <laughs> they can sell around the world by moving, selling it all up in South Africa. It's always voiceovered from local area, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit stodgy I'm not sure they're going to be able to sell it to anybody but I thought interesting to put a Top Gear face obviously has no face uh, into it uh, and, and if you're building a brand distribution's key isn't it in lots of different ways I'm sure we'll see a, a Stig kids TV show and, and Stig website and all, all the other bits and bobs I did once see the Stig driving through Islington after the Clarkson business you know when he got fired and they went in a tank to Broadcasting House and there he was driving through actually Clark and Welland it was really quite bizarre Guido Fawkes I think that was. Whoa. Sticking with telly, let's talk about uh, The Jump, Channel 4's elimination show on skis, uh, which is really taking the word elimination very seriously indeed. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of injuries. Uh, Beth Tweddle, the gymnast, has broken her back and needed surgery. Uh, Tina Hobley, the actor, dislocated her elbow. Linford Christie strained a hamstring. Um, Liz, so many participants have, have had to pull out of The Jump now. Is the format broken? <laughs> uh, or is breaking limbs part of the format and, you know and it's what? working for them? I really think breaking limbs is going to be part of the format. And it's a horrible thing to say, but it's human nature, isn't it? I wasn't particularly interested in the jump, now I am. <laughs> isn't that tragic? But I, I read various TV executives, Matt, saying people want the threat of danger, but they don't actually like to see people being seriously injured. Well, I don't think anybody wants someone to, to be really badly injured, but you want Jeopardy from a TV show. And also, you want to know that it's not fake. I think that the reality element actually is, is you know, we all know about everything sort of slightly constructed. It is nice when we watch live sport, because we don't know what's going to happen. And for these live shows, you know, these sort of iPlayer-busting programmes that try and bring people together, the sense of Jeopardy is, is very real. There's, there's 
those contestants have found out. But that's not exclusive to television, is it? That's the circus throughout the ages. Mm. And all sorts of, of entertainment is based on the fact that people are doing daring things and daring things involve danger. Yeah, I mean, it is, in fairness, skiing as well, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know anyone who's actually, been skiing that hasn't hurt themselves. It's so. a really daft sport. Yeah, it is it? absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but... <laughs> uh, of course, health and safety in telly used to be a lot worse. Uh, let's remind ourselves of this. This is BBC One. Because of the tragic accident involving Michael Lush while preparing for tonight's edition of The Late Late Breakfast Show, the BBC has decided to cancel this and all further editions of the programme. So tonight, in place of The Late Late Breakfast Show and Every Second Counts, we're now showing the feature film One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. Uh, Matt, that wasn't even the first serious accident on The Late Late Breakfast Show. Uh, Times have changed a lot since then. I think you're very aware of the issues. There is an industry around it to um, uh, support production that there never used to be. Uh, and you don't want the legal ramifications. How, how much does health and safety play a role in what you teach, Liz, at oh, City? Oh, it's really, really important. It's absolutely paramount. We have to do risk assessments. Going into the studio has to be supervised. I mean, that, that's different anyway because it's an educational environment. You've got to be very, very careful. But it has changed massively in the last 20, 30 years. I mean, I remember the days when you had to carry on reading the news, whatever happened, and, and I was bitten by a rabid mouse. Well, I don't know if it was rabid, but it felt it at the time. And you just had to keep going, you yeah. know? But that's all changed now, quite rightly. Yeah, I mean, I remember John Noakes scaling uh, Nelson's column without a harness, for example, (laughs) for Blue Peter. Uh, The the clip that they showed us when I went on my BBC training was Anthea Turner being set fire to. Have you ever seen that one, sitting in the back of the truck? It's a great bit of video at the back of the truck It's an extraordinary bit of video. Luckily she was okay. Uh, But yeah, Mm. it does seem that it, it is wise. I mean, people have a go at the elf and safety police it is wise to spend some time trying to work this stuff out absolutely i wouldn't want any of my students to be bitten by that mouse and then you know you speak to people who are actually on the ground doing shoots for tv programs and all the time things are happening that shouldn't be happening people falling over running backwards with cameras and cars flying out to film an action sequence quickly and and the reality is people still film things on the fly don't they gotta get it before the light goes yeah (laughs) exactly uh let's talk again about papers briefly because we touched on this earlier uh, when we were talking about the eye but it's worth of a little inclusion of its own this news i think the daily mirror are going to launch their own new tabloid Uh, it is called new day uh, what else do we know about it, Matt? Bearing in mind it's, it's launching in about a week, not very much. Uh, we don't know a lot. Uh, I mean, people talk about it being a female-focused title. I think that's probably more about uh, finding an interesting product for uh, advertisers rather than particularly who they're targeting. I'm sure they'll be happy to have anybody through the doors. I think it's interesting, like, they're taking... What, what do they have? They have an ad sales team, they have an editorial team, they have a distribution network, and they're trying to find another product to, to, add, to, to add to that portfolio. So, ironically, this is actually the independence model, isn't it? Yeah. In the week the independence closing down, the mirror's just stolen what they did with the eye. Ah, but remember, the eye was sold, as we've said before, for £24 million, so it definitely had value. It's quite interesting, isn't it, this? And I think that it, it goes along with what we were saying before about the media. The medium doesn't ever quite die. Then just Other things get built on top of it. I'm, I'm intrigued about the, the female focus thing. Is this really another attempt to do a magazine? Um, because that is... A, a, magazines, as we've said, are a format that's growing. Again, let's let's wait and see, but... It's interesting that they're having a go. I think also interesting that it's a Monday to Friday title. So no mm. Saturday or Sunday edition. You know, it's just, I guess it's sort of commuter-esque, um, I feel, for it. And where do you both stand on the idea of gendered news? I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that something like female in the Daily Mail, you know, health stories and things like that, you can sort of see that slightly more of interest to women than men. Why? Aren't um, you interested in your health? I, no, I am. I, say, I use the word slightly, but I'd say probably, you know, guessing 65% of the people reading that are women. 
Um, you know, in the same way you could say, generally speaking, perhaps more men are interested in sport or whatever it is, but those are generalisations. To take a paper and say, this is for women, is, is, is well, it's unprecedented, isn't it? Well, that's why I think it's, it's really the magazine style of things, and that's going to be very interesting to see whether as a, a, a daily, weekday magazine it's going to work. Personally, I really think the idea of gendered news as such, or, or really targeted news to that extent in, in any field, is a really bad idea. The whole point about the news is it's the news, and it, you know, obviously different channels have different news values but you go to news wanting something that somebody else has editorialised for you. You don't go to news to choose it for yourself. If you went to news to choose it for yourself, it would be all sneezing pandas and no politics. No page three girl, I presume, though. Pardon? (laughs) What's that? (laughs) Let's finish off with radio. Uh, And Matt, this week, MPs approving the BBC's plans to allow more shows to be produced by... Indies, uh, you must think that's a good thing. Uh, obviously, as an independent producer, uh, it's ex- an excellent uh, uh, thing. You haven't got a quotient, though. Uh, it's not ten percent produced by you. No, no. So, no. but also, I think that's always been interesting for radio compared to television. It hasn't had any any fixed quotas. Uh, what competing compares going to do is really open up the amount of hours that indies can uh, bid for. I think what will ha- it is sad for some of the in-house teams absolutely. I think the the BBC some of the BBC in-house teams will get out of certain genres uh, which will be better produced by independents who are better set up to produce it. Uh, again back to what we were talking about earlier, this is part of a smaller BBC. You know, indies do better in awards uh, for radio programs and the reason my personal pop theory reason why that is is to get someone on Radio 4, you've had to beat 10 to 15 other things for that slot. So there has already been a huge amount of um, whittling uh, to get to that bit. So, you know, Radio 4 is not going to commission Matt Deegan talks to his mates in his office. You know, we have to send someone to Nicaragua to interview someone or, or, or whatever it has to be. And I think... Uh, it, in-house productions are, are great but they don't necessarily have the same they don't have to fight in the same way that indies uh, fight and I think the net effect is actually good for licence fee payers because these are good ideas uh, that are tough to get on air that people have to come up with interesting things and I think that will help the networks uh, in total Is it good value for licence fee payers though Liz? I mean just talking personally uh, as talent, I'm using uh, air quotes by the way when I say that um, I know that I've been paid three or four times as much to present a programme when it's produced by an indie than when it's produced directly by the BBC. It, it does seem that the budgets are higher and they, they do waste a bit more money. Even what, though if, you, if you commission indies, I don't think that's necessarily true at yeah. all. It might just have been you know, the phenomenon of the programme. I think it is. I think people on. don't say it. I think everyone says it's better for the indies to make more money, but often. I, 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 I would be surprised if indies were more expensive than... Uh, than not not overall, when you yeah. take into account the really, really heavy prices for talent at the BBC. But some shows we know that are in-house at the BBC, it's, 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 it's a guy sitting playing some records and a couple of producers. That's got to be cheaper than getting indies to do it. But is that value? But is also, that value? that's not the stuff that's being put out. So anything that is a, uh, anything that is a centrally scheduled, uh, essentially musically scheduled show uh, won't be put out to indies, whereas something like all programmes on Six Music will, because they're not running a traditional playlist... Those are shows that have uh, more production elements, more guests, more, more of those sorts of things. Can I just say cynically also, I think this may be a preemptive strike by the BBC because there is going to be this accusation that, as I think I've said before, they take the oxygen out of the creative atmosphere for anybody else. So if they open it up by saying 60% of radio shows can go to indies, they're actually fighting that battle before it's launched into their into their area. So, you know, maybe it's a bit of a political move as opposed to a creative one. OK, it's time to finish with our programme within a programme which will never be put out to independent tender. <laughs> 
show uh, because it could never be produced quite so finely as this. It is, of course, the media quiz oh. uh, <laughs> with accompanying compulsory groan. Uh, this week it is entitled TV Dinners. Uh, earlier today I stole the commissioner's microwave from out of the offices of television uh, and also some old TV series that are about to be reheated. What I want you to do is tell me what the TV shows are and why they're being reheated for a new audience. Uh, as ever, it's quick fire, so just buzz in with your name when you know the answer. Liz, you will say... Liz. Correct. And Matt, you will say... Matt. The winner will get a TV dinner, the loser, a Rustler's Quarter Pounder. Uh, here's the first one. Let me just pierce the film. Oh, it smells of hyacinths, quite a bouquet. This is a reheated meal with a lot Matt. of class. Matt. Uh, again, my second uh, suggestion of keeping up appearances. <laughs> yes. uh, indeed, yes. Keeping up appearances could be brought back as a prequel, uh, as reported by The Telegraph last year, but there's movement on this now. Apparently the BBC in talks with the show's writer, Roy Clark. Hyacinth- I'm so glad that I didn't win that, because it would show my age. Hi- Hyacinth bouquet, the early years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, uh, here's microwave meal number two. Let's see what's being reheated here. Uh, I'll just pop it in. The- oh, no, I've dropped it on the floor. Uh, to be frank, it doesn't matter. Where's the open door button? Some microwaves do have them. Ow, it's just hit me in the some face. Some mothers do have them. Liz, Liz, Liz. Yeah, Liz, Liz, yes, indeed. It is some mothers do have them. Uh, Michael Crawford is set to reprise his role as Frank Spencer. Uh, but unlike the open all hours thing, this is just a one-off sport relief special. Thank God. Uh, no, it's going to be great. <laughs> it would finish him off, I presume, if they did, did, did a full stunt spectacular. Is he going to be on some roller skates going down uh, a car park? Ooh, I hope so. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> did, did the last time it was on impression Liz can you give us more no oh. <laughs> sorry about that Shame. no the last time it was on air was 1978 Christmas Day 1978 goodness me I was young then yeah three years before I was born <laughs> um, but anyway Bradley Wiggins uh, is going to be in it as well this year and he wasn't in, in 1978 so I'm sure it's worth tuning in for uh, right final microwave meal uh, this is neck and neck now so this is the tiebreaker mm. uh, the label says Nesbitt's Lancashire hot pot made in Manchester serve cold Oh, that's really difficult. The silence has descended it upon our be, contestants. No, it's not porridge. Serve cold. Cold. And don't drop it on the cold floor. Cold f- Matt. Yes, Matt. Cold feet? Correct. Ah. Cold feet is returning to ITV. And it definitely won't end up like this life's reheat, which was boring. Absolutely not. Uh, and there'll be no Helen Baxendale, though, because her character was killed off in a car crash. Don't you think it's a bit sad that all these things are coming back, like X-Files, which hasn't done particularly well, has it, with the reviews and so on? I mean, let's have something new. It, well, it's, it's the, it takes us back to our first discussion. It's all about brands, isn't it? Absolutely. People it takes buy me back to my childhood. It's it. really worrying. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have Uncle uh, Mac on next. <laughs> uh, well, some mothers do indeed have them, and I'm very glad that yours had you, Liz. Uh, my thanks to Liz Howell and to Matt Deegan. That is it for today. If this is your first taste of the media podcast or podcasting in general, uh, you can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice, and then our new episodes will download as soon as they are ready. That is the magic of podcasting. Uh, TheMediaPodcast.com will show you how to do that. Uh, today's show is dedicated to the following good people who have dug deep and contributed hard. Simon Sadler, Hayden Phillips, Freddie Campion-Awad, David Bird, Stephen Robertson and Jenny Allen and to David Marlowe, who asks that this podcast be dedicated to Sarah for everything she is and all that she is to me. Uh, Plus, all the wonderful people who have set up a regular contribution to ensure our long-term survival. Thank you. Maurice Giles, Joe Averson, and the enigmatically named 
personal eBay account. Thank you to you all. Uh, to join these swelling ranks and keep us on the air, just go to themediapodcast.com slash dedicate. It takes one minute. Do it now. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.